Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, it's the season for fun and laughter and holiday parties, but it can also be a time that can be hard to navigate our health. That's why today we're talking with experts in exercise, nutrition, and mental health so we can do our best and get the most out of the season. Now, we have an incredible lineup of guests to guide us today. Joining us are Jill Whalen, the founder of Whalen Wellness, and her team members, Andrea Stokes, a registered dietitian and nutrition expert, and Dr. Shannon Edison, one of our favorite mental health experts here on the show. She's a psychologist at the Beacon Center and works with the team at Whalen Wellness. Together, we'll explore how to balance physical activity, nutritious eating, and mental health during this holiday rush. Whether it's finding joy in movement, navigating holiday treats, or managing stress and maintaining emotional well-being, today's show is about providing practical advice and insights. So let's learn how we can have a healthier, happier holiday season. Hey, Jill, welcome back to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me back. It's become a bit of a tradition now. We're going into the holidays. We need some good advice to make sure we stay healthy. So who do I call? But you. You had a, you had a busy year this year. Tell me about it. It's been another big, busy, wonderful year. Yeah, and I feel like I can't round it out without a chat on the wall show. That's good. Well, I appreciate it. And that's what we're here to do today is help everybody else who might be a little bit confused navigating this time of year. How do I exercise? How do I eat well? How do I have balance? And also, how do I enjoy myself and have that whole mental health side of things? So today we got a really good lineup, but I want to start off with where your bread and butter always has been, but I know you're in such a multifaceted aspect of wellness now, but maybe we could talk about physical activity. You know, physical activity gets tough when we're busy. How are you telling people to try and stay active during the holiday season? My approach is to be less specific in the busy times. So for example, I've worked in fitness, as you know, a decade and a half now, and people strive for perfection when you should actually just strive for something. And that's why I call the pillar of my company, we're a four pillar wellness system. And, and the pillar, I call it movement, not workout, not weight training, not, although strength training is the foundation of what I do, I suggest just move your body. So I want to find a way that people can move their bodies every single day. And if you're staying at your in-laws for Christmas or you're running around with kids activities all Christmas, you can still move your body. Maybe not in the ways that you would throughout January, February or June, but we can still get out there and move. I think that's interesting because you've probably been in the same path as me when it comes to like what constitutes physical activity changes as we age and as we go through different phases of hyper prescriptive exercise programs and just getting active. And that's really what I strive for this time of year is just try and get moving because you never know if you can take a walk outside. I'm taking a walk because it could be snowing tomorrow or, or crummy. Is there much of a difference really when it comes to that idea of moving perfectly versus moving enough? You know, there's really, really not. Now for long-term wellness and longevity, I believe in remaining and staying strong. So strength training is foundation to what I do, but I diversify my movement. That's where the magic lies is in the actual overall movement, moving your body every way. And right now you're going to have a lot of extra people around. Most likely you're going to have a lot of different kinds of socializing around. So let those worlds collide. Take the kids, go play outside, take your spouse, go for a walk, take your mom and go for a walk. So combine movement with those enjoyable meetings over the holidays. That's right. And movement does a lot. Not only does it help our joints and make us feel better that way, it also helps counteract some of the different changes we may have in our nutrition this year. We're going to go really deep with Andrea later on on this one, but you know, the holiday often involves indulgent treats and meals. What's your approach towards nutrition during this time of year? 
It's the same approach that I take every day of the year. But the fact of the matter is this time of year, there's different foods around, right? Like the, the celebrating and the socializing that we're doing are centered on big feasts. And so it should be because that's a big part of how we celebrate and have good times with people. But the thing is, don't put too much pressure on either way. Don't get too restrictive, but also don't tell yourself that you have to eat absolutely everything that's available. Take what you want, enjoy it, and that's the end of it. It's really in the grand scheme of your health and wellness. It's not as much what you eat between Christmas and New Year's as what you eat between New Year's and Christmas. And I think you and I have discussed that previously. But let it happen. Don't overthink it. Enjoy the food. I know one of the greatest lessons out of my own journey with eating, which I, I, I have a long history of having struggled with disordered eating, and, and then I worked really hard to heal that and move into a way of intuitive eating. And on that journey, the biggest thing that I learned for myself is that I don't like being hungry. I have no mental focus when I'm hungry. But similarly, I don't like being overfull. It's not a great feeling for me. I don't like that. I want to feel like I'm available to go walk the dog or go for a run or go have a workout. And, you know, I got lots of energy, not not being weighed down or not being too hungry. So I'm I'm over the extremes <laughs> and I'm focused on just feeling well and enjoyment without guilt. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, you know, sometimes we go into the holidays and people overindulge a bit, then they feel like crummy. And, you know, it's our chance to rest and recoup and reflect. You know, one of the things that's really hard to avoid, though, when we are going through the holiday seasons is travel during the holidays. And travel can be a real mess. Like, you can get delays, weather can be crummy, long airport stays, layovers, or cramped flights. How do people stay active or at least moving and keep themselves from locking up when they're doing these extensive travel plans over the holidays? I know. And that is, that can throw everything off. As you know, it throws off your energy levels, your mood, your digestion, so many different things. And I just try to keep moving. I try to not go an hour without movement. My trusty Apple Watch reminds me, but even on a flight, I'll get up and do a couple of laps up and down the aisle because I need to. I do not sit well. <laughs> and I need to do that to stay, you know, sane, but also stay like I'm feeling well. And I think a lot of it's just, I want to go back for one second about what we talked about there with food. A lot of it has to do with your mindset. If you're kind of stuck in the scarcity mindset around food where, oh, I only get the specific food once a year, I better eat everything I can get. Um, that's not true. And it's never a, a total truth. Think instead, you know, if you want fruitcake in March, you can have fruitcake in March. If you want a box of chocolates in March, you can have it in March. So it's always available to us. Let's eat it to a point that feels good. Or if you don't want it at all, don't eat it. And there's no guilt attached either way, but at least you feel well at the end of the day. No, that's right. I think that the, the cultures we've seen this year that are doing the best when it comes to this longevity aspect are the ones that are just, they, they're not conscious of calories. They're not conscious of what their heart rate is while they're going for a walk. They're just constantly moving. It's their way of life. They've adopted it and this is normal for them. And I think the more we can think about adding that in as a day-to-day -day type approach, the better we're going to do. We do know that the holidays tend to bring with it celebrations and that can lead to things like alcohol, not only the food we were talking about overindulging. How do you help people be able to set boundaries? Sometimes it can be really difficult for people to say, I don't want to. I mean, I was a beer rep in university. I learned really well how to nurse a drink and how to be able to disguise a fizzy water as something else. But a lot of people will feel pressured into doing behaviors they might not necessarily do or, or align with them personally. I agree. And I think our, our local culture in Newfoundland and Labrador lends itself to that maybe a little bit more than some other spaces. But 
I've been actually researching this topic a lot over the past few months, and we're finally catching up with the rest of the world where it's becoming more of an option, say, to offer mocktails or offer more water options or not ask too many questions if somebody refuses a drink. I've kind of made it a, I make jokes out of it sometimes myself. If I don't want anything to drink or if the dreaded, you know, let's do shots comes out, it's a, it's a hard rule in my life since I was 20 years old where I say Jill does not do shots and I will not uh, deal with any pressure around that stuff. But look out for yourself. You do not need to do anything you don't want to do. And one thought process that I use for these gatherings in terms of emotional consequences, food consumed, alcohol consumed, is I think about the concept of like, let's play this tape forward. How am I, I have a really busy life. How do I want to feel tomorrow? How do I want to feel the next day? I want, you know, I want to consume what I consume based on energy consequences to keep this life up and keep up the habits that I love so much. Yeah. Caring for your future self is an important consideration. Yeah. Make those decisions. And the other thing I heard was Tony Robbins always speaks about pleasure versus pain, you know, yes. and, and is it worth now what it'll be uh, a consequence later on? I, I'm a big believer in that myself. But one of the questions I always love to ask professionals and experts like yourself is when it comes to your definition of wellness, mm -hmm. what does it mean to you? And in particular, what does it mean to you around this time of year? For me, wellness has always meant mind, body, and soul. So happiness in the mind, body, and soul. And so I, my habits every day shape that. How do I want to feel inside of my body? How do I want to feel inside of my head? And, and do I feel aligned in my values? And although it can be tricky, because I, I don't think there's one of us on this planet that can say that the holidays are 100% incredible joy at all times, there's often stress and there's often experiences and things that you have to deal with and maybe people that you don't necessarily want to deal with. So protect that. Stay in line with your values. Don't act in out of line with your values and you'll always you know, feel good at the end of the day and have that energy that you want to protect so dearly. Today, we're learning how to keep a healthy lifestyle during the busy holiday season. Whether that's our mental or physical health, today we have experts who will help guide us through the season. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. Today, we're learning how to keep a healthy lifestyle during the busy holiday season. Whether that's our mental or physical health, we have just the experts to guide you through the festive season. Let's get back to the show. Hi, Ange. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me back. Well, today we are going to talk about something that's important this time of year. No matter how you celebrate it, the holidays are coming up and it's a time for getting together and eating foods, a lot of which taste great, but might not be the healthiest for us. But you're here to help clarify that today. Maybe you could give our listeners a bit of background on yourself. Yeah. Uh, so I am a registered dietitian. I practice from what's called a non-diet approach and an intuitive eating approach. And basically what that means is my approach to food and nutrition encourages people to reject diet culture, to reject this need to hyperfixate on food, to try and eat as little as possible, to cut out foods, and instead sort of embrace the value in all foods and sort of see uh, all foods as being quote unquote good foods. So with a non-diet approach, that means eliminating unnecessary restriction. So some people will need to avoid certain foods for various reasons, allergies, celiac disease, things like that. So not that type of restriction, but rather the restriction that comes with trying to use food to sort of manipulate body size more than anything, which is often what people are doing when they're dieting, uh, basically trying to eat as little as possible or feeling like they have to cut out 
certain foods or hyper-focus on including other foods. And that can lead to a lot of stress around eating. So with the approach of a non-diet approach to food, it's more about better understanding your unique needs. So what foods work for you? What foods feel good in your body? What foods you can afford, have access to? What foods are culturally appropriate? So using food as a way to enhance your life and using food as a element of self-care as opposed to sort of this stressful and, and sort of punishing approach. And with a more intuitive eating approach, we look more to internal cues to guide eating. So what do you like? What's your hunger and fullness level? Uh, what are culturally important foods? Those types of elements versus calorie counting, measuring, tracking, and putting a lot of like stress and, and sort of overwhelm on the eating experience. I couldn't agree more. I just got back from parts of the world where they live to be over 100 years old and they're not conscious of calories and all the things that we're sort of obsessed with in this part of the world. And, you know, mindful eating makes a lot of sense. It requires a certain amount of education to begin with so people can understand these foods and what works and what doesn't work, like you said. But maybe you can share some techniques for practicing a bit of a mindful eating approach during the holidays. Yeah, and I think the holidays are particularly helpful time perhaps to sort of challenge some of these food rules that we have or this dichotomy of good versus bad foods because there are so many foods that are are often uniquely available perhaps over the holiday season um, or some people the holidays are, are a unique time that they finally give themselves some increased permission around these foods so a, a great approach to to the holidays is to really start to focus on what is the value of food, even beyond nutritional value. Nutritional value is fantastic. Eating for the purpose of including various nutrients, great. But there is value to food beyond that. So there are foods that you like the taste of. There are foods that bring you joy, especially around this time of the year. There are foods that, again, are, are more culturally appropriate, so maybe are connected to different celebrations. There are foods that are just convenient. So it is a busy time of the year too. So sometimes just making a choice that gets food into a belly that would otherwise stay empty, that is the healthy choice. There are foods that provide comfort. This time of year can be emotional, both in like a joyful way. And for a lot of people, it can also be a challenging time of year. And food may come into play in that sense too, to offer an element of comfort and sort of being able to see how food can offer these this type of value helps with that moving away from seeing food as either good or bad. What is considered good food tends to only be this criteria of, is it low calorie? Does it contain a certain combination of nutrition? Which again, nutrition is so valuable, but when we only think of food in, in that way, we lose out on so much it has to offer us as well. And especially this time of the year where food can be so involved in in the social experience in the celebration so it is a great time to to be able to sort of embrace those aspects of food perhaps now now more than ever yeah that's right i mean i used to have a tremendous amount of guilt around certain foods coming from this fitness background where everything had to be perfect all the time and i've been able to learn over time what works for my body what makes me feel good what makes me feel good tends to make me healthier and have those other secondary benefits that we look for but then when i'm making a gingerbread house or something like that i don't feel guilty about having a couple of candies here or there because I feel like I've satisfied those underlying requirements of my body and now I'm just doing something that's fun. And I feel like these days in particular, there's so much pressure socially. There's so much pressure to present this image of, of pure health, but 
when it comes to the ability to engage socially, that's a huge dimension of health. And what's your advice to people that may be hesitant to enjoy the holidays and those foods you talked about in social settings because they're so obsessed with being on track with their diet? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a huge benefit to removing shame from the equation when it comes to eating. And that is a big task. It's a big thing to do because our general society and sort of cultural view on food does tend to encourage that black and white thinking, the good, bad mentality. You'll hear foods being talked about as as being toxic or like unclean and sort of this language around food that can invoke an incredible amount of shame for making choices that sort of fall under those labels. So again, that idea of seeing the broader value of food can be helpful, but also recognizing that we will all eat in different ways. There are different foods that uh, appeal to different people. There are different foods that you know individuals have access to, uh, different taste preferences, different sensory differences, uh, different cultural connotations around food. And so if we can remove shame from the equation and sort of remove the idea that what we choose to eat or not eat is the decider of our worth or our value as human beings, that's a really helpful place to start. It, it may not be easy to do, but that's something that's really helpful to sort of recognize where these thoughts and feelings around food come from and be sort of critical as to, is this is this really helpful for me? Um, yeah. I, mean, I always used to say too, about for people that would be all stressed about the holidays, it's not what you eat between the holidays and New Year's, it's what you eat all the time around mm. in, in general. It's the overarching approach towards the way you look at food for things. So we're starting to wind down here, but you know, what would be your message for people about how important it is to enjoy those other positive aspects of food, even if food may not be 100% the best choice when it comes to mm -hmm. one aspect of health? How is it important that we embrace eating in a sensible way and in a mindful way over the holidays? And how does that impact our overall health? Yeah, and I think a little bit of a zooming out perspective can be helpful too, because as you kind of mentioned earlier, it's it's not really about what you eat over the the month of the holidays or however long the holidays are in your life. It's kind of like, what is your year on a whole? Like what types of food show up? Is there a lot of variety? Are there nutritional gaps? Or do you kind of on average sort of have everything covered? That zooming out effect can be helpful because we we tend to fixate so much on a single choice. Like I'm I'm having this particular food for whatever reason you want it. It's just the only thing that's available to you. You're really hungry and you've been kind of driven towards a particular food choice. We tend to get so worked up about just singular choices when it comes to food. And that's where that shame and guilt piece can come in. We start to beat ourselves up so much for just these single choices that in the grand scheme of things aren't even going to make any difference, certainly to our physical health. And so a little bit of a zooming out perspective of what do I eat, you know, overall? What foods do I include? What foods do I not include? And with that zooming out perspective, if you get a sense of, you know what, I, I think I'm I'm pretty close to meeting my nutritional needs. I, I think this looks this looks pretty, you know, balanced from that perspective of am I am I taking in the nutrition that my body needs? Or if you zoom out and find, I think there are big gaps here, then 
great, that can be an area to explore of why do those gaps exist and how can we make certain foods more accessible and available to you. Um, so there's ways you can optimize that nutritional intake for sure if you are feeling like there are gaps. So that zooming out effect can be really helpful in sort of putting into perspective those single meal choices or a week of eating or a month of eating is not going to make or break your health. Um, and I think that idea of broadening our definition of health is incredibly important in this context too. So like you mentioned earlier, that concept of health, especially when it relates to food, tends to focus almost solely on the physical, right? What nutritional elements are you taking in and how does that affect your physical body? Sometimes there's a little mention of mental health, but even that is really lacking in our conversations around nutrition and, and even beyond nutrition. So when we're looking at health, yes, physical health may be an element that, of course, we want to consider, but how does your approach to eating affect your mental health? Does it leave you feeling totally stressed out? Does it leave you feeling totally deprived? Does it leave you in a sort of restrict binge type cycle that leaves you with a lot of guilt and shame? How are you able to socialize uh, given your relationship with food? Is that something that's really challenging to do because you are worried about what people are thinking about what you're eating or you can't go to a social event because you can't be in control of what foods are offered? Um, your your financial health, how does that fit into to your budget? And if you can't avail of certain foods that are promoted as quote unquote better foods, how does that end up making you feel? There's so many other aspects to, to sort of health and well-being to consider. Um, and food can really harm those other aspects uh, of our health and well-being. And on the flip side, when we have a more healthy and peaceful relationship with food, food can actually be a way to enhance all of those other aspects of health and well-being. So food is incredibly important. It's it's never just fuel, although that's sometimes how it's, it's presented. Uh, it, it's integrated into almost every single aspect of our lives. Yeah, that's right. And I think that, you know, we have to remember that having choices of food is a real privilege in today's society. A lot of people don't have those options. And being able to glean the positive aspects of it, the ability to share food and bond with people and spend time with friends and family, no matter what that food is, is still a hugely beneficial aspect of this time of year for people. It's a time we should enjoy each other's company, enjoy our community, and really celebrate the year that we had. So on that note, Ange, thank you so much for joining us again today. I'm sure you'll be back on many more times. <laughs> and uh, have yourself a happy holiday with you and your family. Uh, thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you as always, and enjoy the holidays. Today, we're learning how to keep a healthy lifestyle during the busy holiday season. Whether that's our mental or physical health, today we have experts who will help guide us through the season. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. Today, we're learning how to keep a healthy lifestyle during the busy holiday season. Whether that's our mental or physical health, we have just the experts to guide you through the festive season. Let's get back to the show. Hi, Dr. Edison. Welcome back to the show. Hi, it's so nice to be back. Well, it's a good time of year to chat. Mental health is something that's important all season long, but in particular around the holidays, it starts to really rear its head for people. Maybe you could give people a bit of background on yourself. Sure. So I am a clinical psychologist here in Newfoundland, and I'm one of the co-owners of a private practice in St. John's called the Beacon Center. So we are a practice of... Uh, of clinical psychologists that offer a, a number of different services in the realm of mental health with, when it comes to assessment and therapy and a lot of public speaking. Mm, that's right. Well, that's why we've been on the show before and you're such a reliable source for this because 
you see people on a day-to-day basis. And I think this time of year, and in particular this year, there's some unique stresses to our community, in particular around our finances. People are finding it tougher to make ends meet this year. What advice do you have if we're going to tackle that really big chunk of stress in our lives for people to manage that financial stress around the holidays? Yeah, without question, it's something that we're hearing a lot of. It's been really longstanding that we have had a a pretty decent understanding around what the most common sources of holiday stress are. I mean, we often think about holidays. We have this movie image when we think about Christmas, and we all tend to hold ourselves to this beautiful picture, this expectation of joy, happiness, being in big groups. We just imagine we are to feel nothing but joy and excitement and cheer. And yet, what we know is that the holidays come with a huge amount of of stress. And when we look at what the most common sources of stress are, finances is always one of those stressors that was identified, and even more so, you know, these days. But it's, it's really important that we identify the fact that there are stressors, that financial stress is one of them, and that it really does impact our mental health. Because there has been research that's been done that's really shown that people that struggle with mental illness, that their symptoms really worsen during the holiday season. So if we think about the stressors, financial stressors being one of them, when we think about how do I manage stress, we ideally think about how do I get rid of stress? You know, typically when clients might come into someone's office for a therapy session and they say they would like help managing stress, really what we all hope for is that we can find a way to not feel stress. And yet that's not possible. So when we think about what we can do to manage the stress that we feel, there are a lot of different things that are within our control. And so one of the things that's kind of top level that we can think about around managing stress is to really think about our values around the holidays. That can be really helpful. So if you were to kind of think about questions that can help you get there, it would be thinking about when have I felt happiest during the holiday season? Where was I? What was I doing? What was it about those activities that were so meaningful to me? And then what kind of needs were met during that time? And oftentimes when we reflect on those moments, we are not really thinking about how much money we did or didn't spend. We're not thinking about how we managed to meet everybody's needs. Usually we have these images that are much more about kind of the emotion that we might have felt. And it's not about getting things perfect. It's it's all those things that that stand out for us that are actually a lot about imperfection. And they're just more of a kind of these moments that stand out for us. So if we think about what those values are and we think about our, our behaviors that we might engage in during the holiday season, we really want to be thinking about is what I'm doing is what I kind of have on my to do list in line with what's most important to me during the holidays. That makes perfect sense to me. And I think that we we have to be kind to ourselves this time of year where everybody has different challenges and, and different dynamics and different histories when it comes to the holidays because it brings up a lot of stuff. And I think that one of the things that we deal with is we want to be around family. We want to make sure that we're spending quality time with them. But being around family sometimes can be challenging for a lot of people, especially when you're staying with them. What's your advice when we know family can sometimes trigger us? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one of them is about practicing being mindful. If we think about mindfulness, it's really just about being present, right? So if we are present and we're just really more aware, we're kind of present, we're engaged in that present moment. And if we're practicing being mindful, whether we're heading into a scenario where we're going to be interacting with people or we're currently, you know, we're in that moment. If we're practicing being aware and present, 
then we are much more likely to identify kind of what's going on for us. We might be the last ones to realize that we're stressed and that we're being short with somebody or we're kind of doing things that we weren't even really aware of till we get that sideways glance from somebody. So practicing that awareness of what is it that's going on for me right now? What am I feeling? And why am I feeling that way? And then being able to be really clear about like, what are those triggers? And what are those, th what are the aspects of those triggers that I have control over versus I don't? So the parts that we often have control over are setting boundaries, mm -hmm. saying no. We don't tend to have a very easy time with saying no in any of our relationships. And yet it's so important because oftentimes it's when we are not saying no, when we're doing things that are really upsetting us or that we're in a scenario where things don't feel right. We don't kind of say, no, I'm not going to attend that or I'm not going to engage in this conversation, whatever it would be. So practicing just being aware, knowing what your triggers are, knowing whether or not you need to kind of take action, like setting a boundary, even if that means potentially upsetting somebody else, not doing what it is that they want you to do, but choosing yourself, like kind of recognizing, no, my experience in this really does matter. Yeah, it's true. And you know, it's funny. Sometimes the holidays isn't about expectations from other people. It's expectations of yourself because you want to go do everything. But we also have to remember to take care of ourselves during this and not burn ourselves out. I don't know how many people get sick over the holidays because they're burning the candle at both ends, so to speak. And I yeah. think, uh, you know, that's that's one challenge people have in Newfoundland. We're extremely social, big families, lots of opportunities to get together. But then there's the other side of things, that loneliness is something that <laughs> is becoming a bigger and bigger issue within our communities. What can we do to help reach out either from ourselves if we're lonely or how should we be conscious of people that may be lonely that are in our lives that we haven't reached out to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, loneliness and um, isolation and, and, you know, any experiences of grief really feel much more in, you know, we experience them more intensely, I think, during the holidays. So even just kind of recognizing that both within yourself and with other people, thinking about other people is important. So just even that acceptance and that acknowledgement that um, these emotions are really common and normal during the holidays. And so one of them being that we're going to accept and be really kind to ourselves if we experience something where we feel isolated, where we're being reminded of our grief. And so being really kind to ourselves and, and accepting that component while also pushing ourselves to do things even when we may have kind of thoughts or feelings that are unpleasant. So if we're feeling that we really want to have more of a connection to community, but we're worried about going to a social event, you know, we're not feeling like maybe people are feeling comfortable in their bodies or whatever it would be to say, I'm going to do those things because I know that that sense of community is going to be valuable for me. And I'm going to have to let all the unpleasant feelings come along for the ride. So I'm going to put on that outfit. I'm going to go to that social get together. And there may be times when I'm really feeling lonely or I'm feeling uncomfortable, but it's meaningful and I'm going to do it anyway. It's kind of just letting all that stuff come along for the ride. Yeah, exactly. You you tend to get something good out of a situation. It's always a silver lining, even if there's a bit of discomfort when it comes to getting, your, yeah. getting yourself out the door. We can often experience people that may be feeling hurt or rejected. They may um, kind of come across as being a little bit more short-tempered or maybe you know, don't necessarily see themselves. And sometimes just responding with compassion can be really helpful, kind of recognizing that sometimes those feelings of isolation lead us to kind of act in that way. And so just reaching out and being compassionate, responding with kindness rather than anger, or sending that message, making that phone call, just knowing, you know what, if I'm experiencing 
some of this feeling of loneliness, one of the things that's going to help me is knowing that I've made somebody else also feel connected. So just making that that phone call or dropping something off on the step, those acts of kindness, those, those tiny random acts of kindness make us feel good all year round, but particularly during the holidays. And there's just so many opportunities to just literally help somebody in the lineup find the size and the pile of sweaters if they look flustered. And then you're just going to feel the boost. You've connected with somebody, you've done something helpful and kind, and then you get to benefit from it too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We could all use a bit of kindness from our fellow community members this time of year. It's been a challenge. There's been a lot of new people come to our community. They can also use that kindness. I always encourage people to find a way that's going to make the greatest impact to to share this time of year. Now, we're starting to wind down here, but is there any last advice you'd like to give our listeners as we go into this really busy last week before the holidays? Mm-hmm. I would like to speak for about three hours So, <laughs> on that topic. But I think overall, we can take an approach of really figuring out what's most meaningful to us during the holidays and making sure that we're doing things that are connected to that, right? So if you're hosting an event and what's most meaningful about hosting that event is that there's connections to a tradition you have childhood memories of, what is it that's meaningful about that? And really reminding yourself of that and staying grounded in that versus aiming for any perfection or thinking about, you know, you know, how well somebody liked this or how clean your house was during that event. So being really kind of values grounded in that way and just being open to the full range of what we're going to experience. So make room for all the great stuff and also be really kind for the more unpleasant, difficult aspects of the holidays. If we make room for it, then we can experience all of it. If we don't make room for being able to just be comfortable with some of the hard parts, then it actually makes the unpleasant experiences so much bigger and takes away from our ability to savor those good moments. So just let's just open it up and allow ourselves to have that full range of emotions and do things that are meaningful and important to us and really embrace those wonderful good moments and make space for some of the tough stuff too. Mm -hmm. Save yourself a little emotional contingency fund so that you got a little extra to spend if you need to exert somewhere else. I love that. Well, thanks so much for joining me. It's great chat with you again. I'm sure you'll be back on the show many more times, but have yourself a happy holidays. It's so nice to be back. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Today, we're learning how to keep a healthy lifestyle during the busy holiday season. Whether that's our mental or physical health, today we have experts who will help guide us through the season. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. Today, we're learning how to keep a healthy lifestyle during the busy holiday season. Whether that's our mental or physical health, we have just the experts to guide you through the festive season. Let's get back to the show. Well, Jill, you have had another busy year for your business. Your business has been growing rapidly and changing in in the way that it, it operates and what you offer people. And you've built a strong community around yourselves, I have to say. You guys were recognized for that growth and and for how amazing of a service you guys are doing for people by the Board of Trade. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, it was really exciting. So a couple of weeks ago, we were nominated for a Board of Trade Business Award here in St. John's. And I was excited to be nominated. I felt like I won just by being nominated. And then I was really surprised when we won the award and we won in the category of Opportunity Seeker. So that's given to an individual or business that has found new ways to reach goals within their industry. And so of all the awards available that night, I was most honored to receive that one because you know it's my view to change. I want to change the fitness industry. It needs change and I want to champion that. 
And the fact that the business has developed from an online virtual bootcamp born out of the pandemic into now sticking power and staying power of this new method of wellness coaching where we still have the virtual bootcamp, but also so many other opportunities for me to share my message and my journey and my mission. And that's things like corporate speaking engagements and retreats. We've been all around the world with retreats and just different ways for us to get together. We do in-person meetups. We're having a big Christmas event this Friday night. So lots of different ways to build community around wellness. And I have to say that the very best part of how it's grown in this direction is the community of people around me every day. I'm so very grateful. Well, usually a community tends to migrate when you make a difference and you impact people in positive ways. And that's one of the reasons why I constantly have you back on this show. You know, the reason that I, I ask you to come back is I agree with your philosophy. I think it's nice to see somebody that's out there doing it in the real world that is making a difference while they're doing a business at the same time. So I think that's great. You know, and I guess maybe we have an opportunity right now to go back in time a little bit about why you decided to start Whale & Wellness, because it is an interesting and unique approach. It's, it's something that was very novel when it first came out. Yeah, I worked in gyms and in and out of my own fitness business for so many years. And as much as fitness gave me, because it did give me so much, it has given me, it continues to give me so much, I felt so misaligned back in 2017. And that's the year that I closed my gym. And I did that not because we, you know, the business was failing or we couldn't keep the doors open, but it was because we were doing things the way everybody else does the thing in fitness. And that's never going to go anywhere. That industry is going to thrive on that forever. But I felt misalignment because I didn't like the predatory part, the part about making people feel like they need fixing or that they're not good enough. And so I decided to retire in 2017. And, and I I said this chapter of fitness coaching for me is done forever. And, and what I needed and the aftermath of closing the gym and not having that space anymore or the outlet of coaching, which I love so much, I, I realized that I needed healing myself and I needed to heal from the pressures of the industry and my own issues around body image and disordered eating. And so that's what I did. And in order to do that, I, I thought to myself, hey, you've got the education and the experience to do this. So I created my four pillar system, put it in a notebook and started practicing it myself. It was never meant to go out in the world. That was never the plan. And that was mid-September 2017. And every single day since that day, I've been leading every day with the four pillars. And in 2020, when the world changed and, and everybody really needed a hand up, I decided to put it out in the world. It's a very scary move, very vulnerable for me. But when I did, I saw the change. I knew the change it had on me and the impact it had on me. But when I saw thousands of people finding a solution for good. We have so many people about to celebrate four year anniversary with Whale and Wellness, which is just everything. It's just so amazing. So incredible. No, that's just true. And and that's what people are looking for. They're looking for a sense of community in particular during COVID, but even ongoing. It can be lonely aspirations trying to make a difference in your health. It can be a really challenging mountain to climb. And I think that's one of the reasons that I want to talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions. Now, I, I think any time to start is now. Everything comes from now. The past comes from now. Everything is now. So the sooner the yep. better when it comes to making a shift. But people do like to set New Year's resolutions. What's some advice that you have for people that are listening that say, okay, look, this is going to be a time when I am going to make some positive change for my health? Yeah. So I'm all for it. Like you, I believe in every day is a great day for change. But if you're gearing up, you're working your way through some other things and you're planning for that January 1st start, just make sure it's realistic. Make sure that you're not falling back into something that is designed for you to feel like you failed or that it's something that you did before it didn't serve you. 
to make sure that you're moving into something that feels good. Here's the way I look at it. If the way that you exercise or move and the way that you eat your food is designed in a way that you count down to a break from it, then you're probably not doing it right. It's probably not something that's serving you in the long term. I believe in getting off that hamster wheel. And, and you know, the year that I started living by the four pillars was the year that I stopped New Year's resolution because I have the long-term solution now. And this is something that travels with me no matter what day or week or month of the year. Well, you've had a lot of people that work with you and you just said four-year anniversary is coming up for a long period of time. And same thing when we had our facility, we had people that were with us for literally decades because we were around for a long time. What's your perspective, or at least why do you think it is that some people are able to stick with it? What's that characteristic that keeps them coming and staying involved and improving? It, it's a few things. It's a lot of things. And one of them is the fact that it's a holistic approach. So it's not just the fitness piece. We also have mental health counseling. We have a dietitian that counsels us. We have yoga classes, cooking classes, uh, spin classes now. So we have a wide variety at a low price. So that's a good thing. And then the fact that there's so much variety, it keeps it fun and interesting. And I always tell people, you don't have to consume every single offering we put out there because it is so much now, but take what you need today. And then next week, take what you need next week. And next year, take what you need next year. And we have a lot of fun. Between myself and my professional partners, there is big alignment and we believe in enjoyment the whole process through. So that's, that's the key. Yeah, having fun is good. My workout partners are like literally like some of the most important people in my life tracking back from since I first started exercising and having people to, to share that journey with. And yeah. my, my, my wife and I, that's part of our lifestyle together is that we were able to go to the gym in the morning. We're able to eat a certain way together. And we really enjoy that. Now, mm. I'm sure you've got countless different stories of people that you've found inspiring that have had success. But can you share one with me today that maybe it'll resonate with somebody listening here? Oh, there's so many, like I hear often, we have a wide demographic, first of all. So I can't, that's why it's hard to highlight one story because my youngest member is 18, my oldest is 81. So I've heard so many stories, like the women that were teenagers back in the 60s and 70s, whose parents put them on a diet as soon as they turned 12. And so it took years and decades to change that mindset around dieting and caring for your body in a way that you need. And then I have the young people who are just thriving and just leaps and bounds in relationships and school and career and just so much confidence that spills over into every aspect of their lives. And then we have people that are healing from big stuff like loss, illness, tragedy, trauma, uh, and the holistic piece of it is giving them so many building blocks that's getting them unstuck and able to move forward. Repeat that times thousands of people now, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is that Rome wasn't built in a day. You, you've got these things that build up over time, whether it be bad habits or trauma or challenges or, or subsequent failure because people have tried the wrong things for right. so long. What's the key thing somebody should look for if they're looking for a sustainable approach towards health? It has to be something that suits your life. And that's kind of the way that I designed it in the beginning was that through working in the gym, I see so many barriers. People have so many barriers in the pursuit of their own wellness. So if we can remove things like scheduling, childcare, cost, and make it more accessible, then it ticks the box forever. And that's what I aim to do. And, and aside from the people that I just listed off, we also have the general gym rat that has found a way now to save two and three hours a day because they're focused on their career as well. And, and that commute is eliminated by just going down over the stairs and getting the thing done. So now I get that totally. That was one question I've been asking people 
over the last year. And I always find it really interesting and I never provided to them. So sorry if I'm catching a bit of a curveball. But as a health professional, I have a question. And that is, what does the word health mean to you? Health to me means peace inside of your mind and your body. That's health. And that is the best case scenario that any of us could look for or strive for in life. When I think about, when you think about all of the the things that you want, right? As you go through your life, you have goals. Like you want to finish school and then you want to get the job and then you want to get the, the wife or the husband and you want to get the trip. All of that is centered around feeling great and having great moments in life. And if you're healthy inside of your mind and body and you have that fulfillment and alignment, that's everything. That's the end game goals right there. Well, that's a perfect way to wrap up our holiday tips for staying healthy, happy, and in the present moment over the holidays. So Jill, thank you so much for joining me today. Make sure you guys have a happy holiday, you and your family. Thanks so much for having me. Take care and Merry Christmas. Thank you to my guests for joining me today. Jill's emphasis on the joy of movement rather than perfection and exercise reminds us that wellness is about feeling good in our bodies throughout the holiday season. Andrea's insights on embracing all foods and the value of intuitive eating encourages us to enjoy our holiday meals without guilt. And Dr. Edison's advice on managing stress and setting healthy boundaries offers a path to maintaining our mental well-being during this busy time. As we navigate the festive season, let's carry these valuable lessons with us. Remember, it's not about perfection, it's about balance, enjoyment, and being kind to ourselves. Whether it's finding simple ways to stay active, making mindful food choices, or taking time for self-care amidst the holiday hustle, each step contributes to our overall well-being. Thanks for tuning in and happy holidays. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.